Hello and welcome to We're in a Cave. I'm your host, Nicole Chikalian, and I'm going to be going solo again this week. Uh, and instead of focusing on a concrete topic this week, like uh, good or evil, I'm going to just tell two stories within the topic of philosophy that I find particularly interesting. So the first is, I'm going to call it, everything is made of water. Um, so during the archaic period, so that's mid 8th century to 6th century BCE, people of the Greek peninsula gradually settled into a group of city-states. They developed an alphabetical system of writing as well as the beginnings of what is now recognized as Western philosophy. Previous civilizations had relied on religion to explain the phenomenon in the world around them, uh, and now a new breed of thinkers is emerging and they attempt to find natural and rational explanations. The first of these new scientific thinkers that we are aware of was Thales of Miletus. Nothing survives of his writing, but we know that he had a good grasp of geometry and astronomy. And he is known to have predicted the total eclipse of the sun in 585 BCE. This practical turn of the mind led him to believe that events in the world were not due to supernatural intervention, but had other natural causes that reason and observation can and would reveal. So he created the idea of a fundamental substance. Thales needed to establish a first principle from which to work. So he posed the question, what is the natural basic material of the cosmos? The idea that everything in the universe can be ultimately reduced to a single substance is the theory of monoism. And Thales and his followers were the first to propose it within Western philosophy. Thales reasons that fu the fundamental material of the universe had to be something out of which everything could be formed, as well as being essential to life and capable of motion and therefore change. He observes that water is clearly necessary to sustain all forms of life and that it moves and changes, assuming different forms from liquid to solid ice to vapors mist. So Thales concludes that all matter, regardless of it, it, if its apparent properties must be water in some stage of transformation. Thales also notes that every landmass appears to come to an end at its water's edge. From this, he deduces that the whole of the earth must be floating on a bed of water from which it emerged. When anything occurs to cause ripples or tremors in this water, Thales states we experience them as earthquakes. However, as interesting as the details of Thales' theories are, they are not the main reason why he is considered a major figure in the history of philosophy. His true importance lies in the fact that he was the first known thinker to seek naturalistic, rational answers to fundamental questions rather than ascribing objects and events to like the whims of gods. By doing so, he and the later philosophers of the Milesian school laid the foundations for the future of scientific and philosophical thought across the Western world. Although we know Thales was born and lived in Miletus on the coast of what is now Turkey, we know very little about his life. None of his writings, if indeed he left any, have survived. However, his reputation as one of the key early Greek thinkers seems very well deserved. And he's even referred to in some detail by Aristotle in his writings. Anecdotal evidence suggests that, as well as being a philosopher, Thales was actively involved in politics and was a very successful businessman. 
He is thought to have traveled widely around the Eastern Mediterranean while visiting Egypt to have learned the practical geometry that was to become the basis of his deductive reasoning. However, Thales was above all a teacher, the first of the so-called Milesian school of philosophers. His pupils expanded his scientific theories and in turn became mentors to great people, such as the mathematician Pythagoras. Now that we have Thales out of the way, I want to talk about another philosopher called Lao Tzu. In the 6th century BCE, China moved toward a state of internal warfare as the ruling Zhao dynasty disintegrated. This change bred a new social class of administrators and magistrates within the courts who occupied themselves with the business of devising strategies for ruling more effectively. Large body of ideas that was produced of these officials, uh, by these officials, sorry, became known as the Hundred School of Thought. All this coincided with the emergence of philosophy in Greece and shared some of its concerns, such as seeking stability in a constantly changing world and alternatives to what has been previously prescribed by religion. But Chinese philosophy evolved from practical politics and was therefore concerned with morality and ethics rather than the nature of the cosmos. One of the most important ideas to appear at this time came from the book called The Way and Its Power, which has been attributed to Lao Tzu. It was one of the first attempts to propose a theory of just rule based on virtue, which could be found by following Tao, or translation, the way, and forms the basis of the philosophy known as Taoism. It also created the theory of the cycles of change. In order to understand the concept of Tao, it is necessary to know how the ancient Chinese viewed the ever-changing world. For them, the changes are cyclical, continually moving from one state to another, such as from night to day, summer to winter, and so on. They saw the different states not as opposites, but as related, one arising from the other. These states also propose a complementary property that together make up a whole. The process of change is seen as an expression of Tao and leads to the 10,000 manifestations that make up the world. Laozi, in his early writings, says that humans are merely one of the 10,000 manifestations and they have no special status. But because of our desire and free will, we can stray from the Tao and disturb the world's harmonious balance. To live a virtuous life means acting in accordance with the Tao. Following the Tao, however, is not a simple matter, as his early writings acknowledge. Philosophizing about Tao is pointless, as it is beyond anything that humans can conceive. It is characterized by not being, so we can only live according to the Tao by not being, literally non-action. By this, Laozi does not mean not doing anything, but acting in accordance with nature, spontaneously and intuitively. That in turn entails acting without desire, ambition, and no care for social conventions, but working with nature rather than against it. To further understand the idea of um, non-action or not doing, uh, Laozi also talks about living in harmony with nature it, as one path described in his early writings. And he prescribes this for a well-balanced life. So let's give an example. Let's say this man runs a fish market and needs fish every single day from this one lake. For this man, uh, living in harmony or a well-balanced life could mean respecting the ecological balance of the lake, not overfishing. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me on this 
story, uh, two stories, one about Thales, one about Lao Tzu. They're both very interesting figures and I definitely recommend you further read about them. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Signing off. This episode of the T of HP is brought to you by Coach's Choice. Coach's Choice USA slash select is a basketball training group that runs camps, clinics, and tournaments throughout the East Coast, as well as manage pro athletes. For more information, call Tom Sclafani at 732-501-4155 or go to their website at coacheschoiceselect.com.